Thanks for joining the podcast with Tamara Gondor. Conversations with everyday innovators that reject status quo, think differently, and make a positive difference in their world. Listen in so you can ignite innovation, influence others, and make an impact too. And now your host, CrossFit addict, knee-high sock lover, and according to her kids, average cook, Tamara Gondor. All right, everyone, I'm pretty excited for today because as you know, one of my big things out there is how do you how do you take on the giants? How do you disrupt the marketplace? So I went and found someone who is doing that. I am here today with Philip Winter. He is the co-founder and CEO of Nebia, currently reinventing the way people shower. Nebia is a San Francisco-based startup that has built a new shower system based on a better experience and unprecedented water savings, which I have to say, I went onto the website and logged in to see what my water savings would be, I would encourage you to do the same thing. The company is backed by leading investors in Silicon Valley, including Y Combinator. Nebia raised over $3 million in the crowdfunding campaign on Kickstarter and last month started shipping the product to its early customers. So prior to Nebia, Philip was a Princeton in Latin American fellow working at Endeavor in Mexico City. He has a passion for the confluence of business and international development work, earned his BA in international relations at the University of Pennsylvania. So Philip, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here tomorrow. Thanks a lot. Well, I got a lot of questions, so I'm going to dig in, but let's back up for a second and start with what inspired you to take on reinventing showers? (laughs) Yeah, it's a good question. Um, Uh, people often follow up that question with, you must have been in the shower when you were thinking about it. <laughs> That's right. Your aha um, moment in the shower. <laughs> um, which, funny enough, we one of my co-founders did have an aha moment in the shower, but I can, I can tell that story later. <laughs> um, no, I, I was... Um, it sort of came to me, to be honest. Um, I was living in Mexico City, working at a nonprofit called Endeavor, um, helping entrepreneurs scale their companies, and I was looking for some part-time work. And around that time, I met uh, my other co-founder, Carlos, um, and he told me about this side project that he'd been working on, which was sort of the beginnings of Nebia. Um, And I was super intrigued. I had previously worked on a composting toilet for the base of the pyramid. And so this idea of a shower that saved a lot of water was obviously intriguing. Um, He invited me to his house. He had a prototype, and I took a shower uh, in the prototype at his house and fell in love with it. And this was about three and a half years ago. And we started working on it then. Um, but the, the backstory is he used to run a large chain of gyms, um, an upscale chain of gyms in Mexico City. And Mexico City is a city of 20 million people. It's the yeah. third largest city in the world. It's at 8,000 feet above sea level. Um, so you can imagine the cost um, and the effort that it takes to pump up all that water into this big valley of 20 million people. Um, and so he, really dating back now six years, asked his dad, who was at that point 85 years old, retired engineer and lifelong tinkerer, to help him find a solution to use less water in these gyms. And after a couple of years of looking for ideas and solutions, his dad came up with the first few prototypes and, and Nebbia was born. Um, and now we're in San Francisco and we started shipping the product. So I have to ask, what was your kind of chain of thought when you went from, wow, this is really cool to, wow, this is something that I could build as a business to, to take mm. to the masses, for lack of a better term? Yeah, it was um, it was over the course of a couple of months. So when, when we started working together, the idea was logically Carlos and I met through a nonprofit, and I had worked on this composting toilet for you know the base of the pyramids of parts of Africa and Latin America. 
we thought, great, we'll develop this, we'll partner with a world-class nonprofit, and we'll take it to parts of Africa or Latin America where water scarcity is an important issue and sanitation is perhaps an even more important issue. And after about a month or two of working on it and really getting to know one another, we realized that perhaps the way to have a bigger impact was rather than starting at the bottom with you know a mass affordable product that's distributed or handed out for a nonprofit, let's just let's try and create something that's desirable that people actually want. And maybe that way we can create sort of a new standard in how people shower and interact with water in their day-to-day lives. And and we like the same kinds of design products. We like the same kinds of brands. Um, we, we, we came on a prospecting trip, so to speak, to the Bay Area. I met with some folks and realized that, hey, there's this whole smart home movement starting. Nest was just beginning to gather you know, some following and hadn't been purchased by Google yet. And then I think what really nailed it down for us was we started reading the the founding story of Patagonia, the the outdoor clothing yeah. you know apparel company, and there's a great book called Let My People Go Surfing, which we now give to everybody on their first day at Nevia, um, and it's the story of how they've built this amazing company over 40 years with you know a, an extreme devotion to their mission. In their case, it's environmental causes and, and what they call the environmental crisis, and and the ability to build a company that sort of reflects your values, but builds really freaking cool high quality products and has a great brand and has great design was really compelling to us. And, and nobody was doing this in showers. Like we, we looked at showers, like people right. care about showers a lot. Like they do it every day. It is so important to a <laughs> right? good day. Yeah, you, good you, were, you, you were saying before we started, you know, that you, you love your showers. Like everybody loves their showers and some people are ritualistic about it, yeah. but, but people just go into a home and, you know, they buy it or they rent an apartment or something and they just take whatever's there until they remodel their bathroom. There's no thought put into it. Um, and so we said, there, I think there's an opportunity there. Um, and that's why the move to San Francisco and, and starting with a premium product and premium brand felt like it made sense. So I want to dig into something that you said, because I know a lot of, uh, not a lot, several inventors who have invented very cool, I would say, social entrepreneurship inventions. Mm. And they, you know, solar lights, portable solar lights, things like that. But what, and, and they struggle because they are taking the path of, um, doing good, which is fantastic, um, but have kind of are having a hard time laddering up to I think where you're saying you started, right? So you've kind of flipped the paradigm on how you're going to market. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, and and our goal is to is to eventually make this big enough, scale the technology, and reduce the cost and make it more affordable. And that's you know, yeah, may, maybe that's just more affordable versions of the shower, or it's other technologies that are actually more needed in parts of the world where water scarcity is is really a life or death situation. Um, th- that's our goal. We we have been really straightforward with our investors um, that that's what we want to do, um, and and we've really been lucky to have their support all along. Um, yeah, that's great. So one of the one of my big things is is that it's not just enough to have an innovative product. I see this all the time with people, large companies and you know inventors and startups, where you know they create they put their heart and soul into this invention, and then it falls flat when it goes to market because they wrap it up in a bow that looks just like everybody else. And one of the things that I was impressed with what you guys are doing is it seems like you're going to market with an innovative business, not just an innovative product. So we just talk a little bit about how you thought about it. You talked a little bit about design, but you know design marketing, customer, like the whole thing. How did you think about making sure that you were being innovative above and beyond the product itself? Yeah, well, I was lucky that one, one of my co-founders, so Carlos, the one who ran the gyms in, in Mexico, is, um, is passionate about brands, is passionate about marketing and, and looking at sort of innovative technology companies. Um, and he's the one that sort of planted the seed for our vision, which was let's just reinvent how people think about the shower. Let's, let's make it a better experience first, 
a beautiful design. And, and obviously, if you're going to reinvent the shower, it should save water, right? And, yeah. um, but that really sort of goes all the way back to the, the initial question, which is everybody has a shower, yet nobody really has purchased their shower. It's just sort of there. Um, so how do we rethink engaging people and saying, hey, this is a, a vital 10 minutes of your day when you don't have notifications, you don't have your phone, you, know, you should cherish that and make it better. Um, and, and so I think one, one of the key things that we're doing that's, that's really different is we're going to try and go direct to the consumer with a product that's generally sold through you know, retailers and through wholesale and through contractors and builders. Um, and, and there's reasons why the industry has been that way, but we have to sort of put it on people's minds to say, hey, you can, you can buy this product and actually you can install it like in 10 or 15 minutes. And like if you go on our website, you can see the, the install video, which is a few minutes you don't have to break any tile. Like it's 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 you know pretty much plug and play, um, and I think that's the only way that we're going to do something that, that really uh, is on a large scale. And you know, a company that we look to a lot that that has proven this in the last few years is Casper, and they've yeah. they've rethought a very basic purchase and just made it a, a more pleasant uh, experience, sort of from end to end. And that's what we're trying to do. How come you? How come nobody has reinvented the shower? I just I was thinking <laughs> as you were talking about how. Like, I love my shower time, but I don't love my shower. Yeah. And I've had it for eight years, as long as I've had my house. So why has, why have we not taken that on? You're so right. It is such an integral part of our day. Right. And if I have cold water or a short shower, I'm pissed. Yeah. Like, that's not a good day for me. <laughs> yeah. So why hasn't that happened it's, it's, like, it's like having bad coffee in the morning, you know? Oh, it's my good. God. It's not okay. Yeah. And I think, I think there's, there's a few reasons. One is... The industry, you know, the, the, the companies that make shower heads have been doing it generally for um, 30, 40, 50 plus yeah. years. In yeah. many cases, it's multiple generations of families who, who run these companies. And there's a few big ones in the world. And then every country around the world sort of has its own national monopoly, so to speak. Um, and I think they, they've generally been making, you know, pretty adequate products for many decades and nobody's really challenged them. So they haven't needed to. And then the, the, the counter to that is regulation has become increasingly stringent in terms of uh, water consumption, right? So in the 90s, you yeah. could use five gallons per minute. Now, from the late 90s forward, you could use two and a half gallons per minute. And as of recently as last year, California is limited to two gallons per minute. And it's only going down, right? And the big manufacturers fight this because they are sort of marketing the premise that more water equals a better experience. Mm. And so I think um, that's where our message is fundamentally different. We say, hey, you know, it's not more water that makes a better experience. It's more interaction with water, uh, more contact with water. And so by increasing the surface area of water, uh, by making much smaller droplets, which is what we do, we atomize water into millions of much tinier droplets, you get this much more enveloping sensation. Um, now, this idea is not totally novel. It's been around for a long time. Buckminster Fuller uh, wrote about it. Um, some other companies have tried it, but there, there's a really fundamental challenge in thermofluids uh, for reason why you can't do it. Um, and that's where this, you know, what we thought was going to take us one or two years to develop and get to market has taken us three or four years. Um, you really have to dig into the, the thermofluids and the computation of fluid dynamics, which is the main challenge. Um, and, and so I think maybe, maybe that's part of the problem is that there's some really fundamental challenges in terms of uh, how you interact with fluids in water and um, and, and those haven't been addressed yet. Well, I think, though, I just want to pause for a second for those listening and, and say that I think what you said is really important, which is you, you are able to provide a, a functional value, so saving water, which is something we, we are. I mean, you're in California and I'm in Colorado, so we're very acutely aware of it in our states. But across the globe, this is a 
this is a big challenge. But what I hear you saying is the combination of, I'm going to provide this functional value, this, you know, um, this environmentally smart way to do this, but I'm also going to provide you a better experience. And I think it's the combination of those two that makes your product so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And that's what we found with people. I mean, we've, we've been doing tests with over a thousand people for the last two years, um, in gyms mostly and in some homes. Um, and, and I think that that's really been, you know, what's been compelling and has driven our design decisions over the last couple of years as we've built this product. Well, when you're looking for 1001, someone with a lot of hair on their head to test things, I'm here for you. I just Fantastic. wanted you to understand that. <laughs> um, the next you time know, you come to the Bay Area, I'll, I'll, I'll expect you to come by our office and take a shower. I'm, oh, <laughs> that's an offer I, didn't, I never thought I'd hear. <laughs> I love it. I, you, you had me. Yes, I'm up. Um, what do you think, you know, as a person in your position and given the the journey that you've you've gone on what is the mindset or the attitude that it takes to manage a a business or a a startup in this in the success that you've had yeah you know i mean we're we're still really early on um we have we've have just started shipping the product and and fortunately our early customers really love it more than we had uh anticipated or even hoped for um which is super encouraging after a few you know tough years of, of of building it um, I think the, the key lesson that I've learned, and I had heard this a, you know, a ton before, is that you know, my job as a co-founder and CEO uh, really evolves every six months in, in a meaningful way. And so the things that I learned to do and, and sort of, I can't really rest on my laurels in terms of new things that I've learned to do well, um, because the, the things that are important to the company change, and therefore my focus has to change. Um, and I think that's true for everybody who works in a startup that's under 20 or 30 people. You know, we're 13 people right now. Um, so everybody's job looks very different um, every six months or so. Um, and you just have to be open and adaptable to that um, and be really good at teaching yourself um, because there's no playbook. There's no manual. There's certainly a lot of help out there and good talks, which are inspiring, yeah. but they don't tell you what to do. <laughs> you have to sort of figure that out on your own. So can you give me some examples? What are some things that maybe you are responsible or have to deal with that you didn't, I don't know if it's not anticipate, but at least, you know, it wasn't on that job description six months ago. I think uh, one, for example, right now is, is dealing with fulfillment and logistics, right? So we have this back order of about 14,000 units that have been purchased and people have given us their, their information. In some cases, people gave us their shipping address and all that a year ago. How do you effectively create a process to confirm everybody's address, make sure that the product is compatible for them, um, and that that is linked and that that's, that, that information, you know, goes into a document which goes to the manufacturer, which gets printed on the right label, you know, which gets printed on the right product. Um, it's, it's a, it's something that is dealt with every day in every industry. And so it's not like it's, it's a unsolvable problem, but if you haven't done it before, um, you yeah. sort of have to figure out how to do that and do it effectively and do so quickly in a way that doesn't require countless man hours to, to manage. Um, and, and we've had to figure out how to do that. And, um, and I think it, you know, that's just a, a, a tiny example. Um, but, but like that, there are many things. You're listening to Conversations with Everyday Innovators on With Tamara Gondor Podcast. Let's take a moment to thank our generous partners that make this possible. I want to take a moment to talk about my friends at Howdy Puppy. Dogs experience all the same problems as humans when it comes to joint pain, anxiety, digestion, and arthritis. A great way to help our four-legged family members with these ailments is with CBD-infused pet treats. Who doesn't like treats? 
As you longtime listeners know, my Mastiff, Zoe, is part of my family, but is getting older and has some anxiety issues when strangers come around. Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats has totally changed her disposition, and I know she feels like her young, energetic, confident self when she gets Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats. There are many CBD-infused dog treats on the market, but the truth is that many of them are overpriced and ineffective. We've looked at dozens of CBD dog treats and found most of them disappointing. Howdy Puppy is among the best brands in the CBD pet business. They deliver consistent quality, and their treats look and taste amazing, according to our dogs, of course. The company makes CBD dog treats in three flavors, steak, bacon, and cheese rolls. All of Howdy Puppy's CBD treats contain natural ingredients, including high-quality full-spectrum hemp oil, all sourced and made in the USA. Full disclosure, I'm an investor in Howdy Puppy, but before I put my name on the company, I had an independent lab in Denver, Colorado, verify the quality and consistency of their treats. They are truly as advertised. Go online today at howdypuppy.com, link will also be in the show notes, and use promo code TAMARA, T-A-M-A-R-A, that's me, to get 20% off the absolute best CBD dog treats on the market. You will not be disappointed. Howdypuppy.com, promo code TAMARA. Don't let them suffer needlessly. Let them enjoy life too. So when you, this can sound a little bit of a tangent, but as you were talking, it, it kind of came to my mind. When you think about the competitive environment that you're in, what are you, what are you looking to do to kind of stay ahead of the game, stay ahead of the competition? I mean, I don't know what the, what your direct competitors look like, but you know, as you said, you're, you're, you're going into a market that's pretty st- stable. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, we have one advantage is we, which is there, there are a few companies that are, uh, a couple years ahead of us that have given us a great example uh, in the way that they have overturned an industry. Um, And frankly, being in San Francisco and Silicon Valley, there are countless others that are somewhat similar in different industries. But more immediately relevant are what's happened in mattresses, right? Which is a purchase of a similar amount uh, in terms of, you know, the price to the consumer. Um, You you purchase it with a similar frequency, you know, every five or 10 years or whatever it is. Um, And the purchasing experience has generally not been very good. Um, so we can look at them and be very inspired. Um, in terms of our more direct competition, they they are deeply entrenched in the way that they do business. They have wholesalers, they have retailers, they sell through contractors and networks, and I think it's pretty difficult for them to change that. Um, I expect that they will, and in time they'll they'll be able to evolve how they sell, but but it's not going to come without a serious amount of friction. Um, and I think that that is just you know an advantage that we have. And, and frankly, we don't think too much about them. Like we're, we're building our product, we're, we're not going to die because they build a, you know, another great product that's similar. I think we're, we're going to continue to try and push the limits in terms of how do you use water in the home and really focus on a user experience that's just better and, and from A to Z. Um, and, there, and there's a whole lot of ways that we use water in the home that haven't been thought about in a long time. Mm, I, I'm good. Well, maybe you can't answer this now. Maybe we need to talk in a year about what happens after showers. Uh, I, I mean, I think showers, we will continue to uh, work on for a number of years. There's, there's, there's enough to do there to, to make a really meaningful impact. But, but just think about everywhere you use water in the home, from your, from your water main in, from the way that you heat your water to the way that you use it to wash your hands, to wash food, um, to wash dishes. Um, 
we're, we're going to look at all of those um, and, and just, you know, try to continue to make better experiences. I love it. I love it. I love that you keep saying to make better experiences because I, I used to do a lot of work in innovation and market research and new pipeline products for <laughs> Fortune 500 companies. And one of the challenges that we always ran into with uh, better for you, better for environment products was they didn't live up to expectations of what they could get now. So they had a tendency to fall short um, because sometimes that trade off is hard for customers, even though we all want to say we have our best intentions at heart. So, <laughs> so I just want to loop it back to people out there listening to say, you got to really understand what the expectations of the marketplace are and what they are willing to trade off and not trade off in order to come to you. I think that's really important to understand. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. So what challenges or roadblocks have you encountered? And of course, what did you do to overcome them, deal with them, get rid of them? Um, We've had numerous ones. I think the the (laughs) one that stands out the most to me, um, it was probably my lowest moment uh, on this journey was about almost a year and a half into working on Nebbia, um, I had been living in San Francisco, full, working on this full time for a few months. We'd had some really good progress. We, like from the moment we got here, we, we knew two or three people in San Francisco, and then immediately we started just taking coffee with whoever would talk to us about their showers, and you know, with the yeah. goal of trying to do a couple of pilots. And we, we landed a pilot at Equinox Gyms, which was a big deal yeah, for us. Yeah. And got a ton of user feedback. We, we landed a pilot at Google for a few days and did the same thing there. And we met our first investors, um, and then we did a pilot at Apple. Um, and for a series of reasons, the pilot at Apple went significantly worse than the other two. People were too cold. That was the main issue, right? The Nebula was not keeping them warm enough, and, and that's the fundamental technical challenge that we have to address with smaller droplets. Um, and I really sort of felt, you know, I've maxed out what I can contribute to this from a technical perspective. I'm not a mechanical engineer. Um, and, and what are we going to do? You know, we don't have a ubiquitous product. I don't know if we can figure this out. Um, and it was really just me working on it full time at that point. And fortunately, you know, by God's grace, I had just met somebody who was a mechanical engineer um, who happened to have a background in thermofluids and in computational fluid dynamics. Which, I mean, to be honest, who doesn't? Of course. Is, is, is a field of engineering that I didn't even know existed, but it happens <laughs> to be exactly the field that addresses the issues that we are oh. facing. And he was working at Apple at the time. He was working on the iPhone team. And he said, look, I might have a few ideas. You know, let me think about it. I'm going to take Christmas break and you know, look through my old textbooks and come up with a model and see if we can do something. And he came back. And in January, we started cranking away. And within two or three weeks, we had built a new prototype and increased uh, the temperature by like 10 or 12 degrees Fahrenheit, which was significant. It felt like an order of magnitude of yeah. progress. Um, and after two or three months of working together, we eventually convinced him to leave his job at Apple and join us as a co-founder. And and, and Gabe came on as our CTO. Um, but that was, a, that was a really serious challenge. Like th- there was some deep soul searching there um, saying, I, you know, we don't have a product that we have promised and, and I have no clue how to figure it out. Um, so we were lucky to get help. Well, and I mean, I would add, not to add, you know, salt to the wound, as they say, but and you did that, quote unquote, publicly, right? You were with customers yeah, who were having yeah. this problem. This wasn't in your shower oh, by oh, yeah. yourself, it was, it was right? terrible. trying to figure I mean, it out. It's like, you know, <laughs> half a day in, I already knew what the response was, and I had to be there another two days, and just like, just to have people tell you their fa- to your face yeah. that they don't like your product. And then you get, you know, the odd two or three people who sort of get it, and they're like, I love it, and that keeps you going. But it's really hard to take that to the face. But boy, is it good, because then you just turn around and you smile, and you say, well, what can I do to improve it? You know, and that's when, that's when you pick up on the real tidbits and learn yeah. what, it, what it takes to make it better. 
Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer in getting out there and experimenting with your customers because otherwise you really truly don't know what's right and what isn't. Yeah. Um, because other than that, it really is all theory and you might have some good ideas of it, but you're one person and you're too close to it. And it, it's the customer that can tell you. And it's really, I, I've had some really bad or painful, I should say, feedback in my day too. And it's it, like looking back, I wanted, you know, I wanted to cry in those moments, but yeah. later I realized, <laughs> wow, if I hadn't known that, I would have never been able to build what I built. So, yeah. you know, you got to kind of take it with a grain of salt, but it is, it is a little bit painful for sure. I, you know, quick question, this may be very naive, but you know, you're in Silicon Valley, so you're surrounded by other innovators and really random thermonuclear physicist type, you know, those people yeah. kind of pop out at you. Um, is that why you chose to be there? You know, what are the benefits of being there? And, and the reason I'm asking is we can't all be there, but we can yeah. certainly be in communities that help us and provide us the right, not just brainstorming, but maybe even connection. So we just talk a little bit about the community and what's that, what that's provided. Yeah, I think the key is getting out of your house and talking to people. And, and then, you know, serendipity happens and you make connections and people get, you know, and, and, and through that is how you build a network and you build sort of these opportunities and then they start coming to you. Um, for us, it was, the barrier was clear because we wanted to do a high design, industrial design product and the best industrial designers were here. Um, and, and and frankly, we also liked the Bay Area and, um, and, and it ended up being a very good um, uh, a very good decision for us. We ended up meeting our co-founder here. We met our first investors here. Um, and it happened to be a crowd that was very open to a, a sustainably uh, minded and sort of driven company um, being California and the Bay Area. Um, I think you can absolutely find that in different places, but it's really important to surround yourself with people and put yourself in opportunities to meet people who will influence you uh, positively and, and help you sort of help sort of guide you just just through the interactions. That's certainly been the case for us here. I mean, I think you nailed it with you have to leave your house. Like no matter where you are, it yeah. is really easy to get stuck behind your desk working on your computer and feel productive. But unless you're out there talking to people, you don't know who you're going to meet. You yeah. just don't. It's, it's incredible that way. You know, you had mentioned some, you know, you have in, these big investors in Silicon Valley. What do you think made Nebia so attractive to them? I mean, they must see a million pitches a day, right? Yeah. You know, I think... One, we were very fortunate. I recognize that. Um, like, the, there's, there's, there's no question about it. I think also the fact that we were just building a product that was, you know, off the beaten path. Um, mm -hmm. Yet had some of the key elements, which was big opportunity, relevant. The macro trends are right, um, but we're building a shower, you know, and it, like it doesn't have an app. Uh, some people, some people would look at me sort of cross-eyed <laughs> and be like, right, "It doesn't have an app." And, and, and so, where's the smart component to it? No, 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 no. It's a mechanical solution, you know. And maybe eventually it'll be smart, but. There's a reason why it's not, you know, off the, yeah. out of the get-go. Um, and, and so I think for the, for the folks who are open-minded enough and we caught them at the right moment, they sort of got it. They say, hey, this is a product everybody uses. Water is a big issue. Let's make it better, right? And there's an opportunity to build a brand around that. Um, and, they, and they sort of got that right away. Um, I, you know, I, I laugh uh, very much out loud because, uh, you know, everyone I know is like, I got to build an app. I got to build an app. But there's so much opportunity in product in, in product innovation, without mm -hmm. a doubt. Um, and while I love technology and apps, there's there's a lot out there to be had if you find the right opportunity. Yeah, there absolutely is. Absolutely is. So what piece of advice do you have for people out there trying to, you know, disrupt a category or kind of take on a relatively stale industry? We talked about this a little bit earlier, but I would say really try and talk to people open-minded and get yourself out of your preconceived notions. Uh, if you have strong intuitions, listen to them because they're generally an important sort of guiding light. 
but really try and gather a sense from talking to folks of what matters to them, right? In, in our case, like we literally started in gyms. And so I would camp out in a locker room, <laughs> like in the locker room and just talk to people because that's where they were. Yeah. You could get a high traffic, high number of people to try it. Um, and they could give you their immediate impressions. And you start to pick up on things. What matters? What doesn't matter? Um, and then really distill it down to the two or three things that matter and, um, and try and make those better. Um, I, I hope that Nebbia, uh, you know, what would make me most proud is, is if we see that a result of our success, there are other people focusing on water um, yeah. and in how we use natural resources in, in a daily basis and just making better experiences, better products. Um, and, and applying the same intellect and passion and resources that we apply to other things um, to these sort of very pressing uh, concerns, you know, around water and around energy use. What a wonderful way to benchmark success beyond yes. bottom line. That's great. That's great. You know, I just want to loop back to what you said about camping out in gyms. Uh, mm. You know, my favorite thing when I do innovation is to do ethnographies, going to people's homes, yeah. drive to them with work, you know, whatever it is we're doing, drive with them. I, I spent two hours in the back of a Camaro with my knees by my ears to <laughs> understand people's morning routines once. Um, but there's something so powerful, isn't there, about actually seeing how people use it in their oh, totally. natural habitat, you know, beyond just listening in a focus group where people tell you what they think they do. Because they're yeah. not liars. They just tell you what they think they do versus what they really do. Yeah, and you have to observe and, and read between yeah. the lines. And when you do enough of them, you get that. And so the gyms were super important for that. Now what we're doing is we're doing hand deliveries. And so for our early customers who are local, and we have, you know, fortunately a lot of them, um, we're hand delivering the units. And so we get to go into their homes. And we get to see what do bathrooms look like. Because one of the challenges we have in designing and developing this product is that everybody's bathroom is a little bit different. And there's no standard. You know, the, the, the pipe where the water comes out is a little bit lower, a little bit higher. There's a shelf in the way. It has a curtain. It has a glass door. And all of those things impact the experience significantly. Um, and, and so we're sort of learning by going into people's homes. Um, and, and it's super, super useful and, and hard information to get otherwise. Yeah, no, you really need to, to see them and how they actually use things. It's great that you guys are doing that. It's really cool. Um, where can people go to get Nebbia? <laughs> they can log on to nebbia.com um, and they can pre-order it there. We're, we're still doing pre-orders for another few months and um, they're going to be quite a bit less expensive now than they will be once we start shipping them live. But um, if anybody is in the Bay Area and wants to come check out the product, please email me at uh, philip at nebbia.com. And we would gladly host you here in our little showroom. Uh, we love having. I love people. it. Shower in your office is so <laughs> great. Even now, we get people come by pretty much every day to shower. Oh so <laughs> that would be me. I'd be like, "Well, I'm leaving the gym. I'm going to stop by the Nebby offices, take an awesome shower, and then go about my day." <laughs> we think it's totally normal. It's <laughs> great. I love it. Um, all right, my last question for you is: What's one thing we would be surprised to learn about you? Uh, you know, personal hobby, passion, experience. I would say that in college, I really had no interest in startups. Um, I wanted to do international missions and development work overseas. And I thought that startups were kind of a fad that would pass. And it's funny because now I'm deeply entrenched in the world of startups and, and believe uh, very strongly in the impact that they can have and in the great journey it can be. Um, so you never know what a couple of years can can do to change your perspective on something. <laughs> That's right. A little bit of experience under your belt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it all changes. Well, Philip, thank you so much. I'm, I'm really excited about what you guys are doing. Um, I, I'm thrilled about the, the product itself, but also kind of the greater social impact you're trying to make. And perhaps in, you know, six months or, or a year, we should follow up and we'll see kind of where you are relative to your moonshot and how everything is going. And at, at that point, I'll have my Nebbia and, you know, we can <laughs> discuss my shower habits. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. I look forward to it. 
Congratulations. By listening to this podcast, you took another step towards becoming an everyday innovator. To leap forward, visit www.gotolaunchstreet.com and take the Innovation Quotient Edge Assessment to discover your unique everyday innovator style and access the Everyday Innovator Digital Magazine for the top tools, insights, and inspiration at your fingertips 24-7. Tomorrow, we'll be back with another Everyday Innovator conversation soon. In the meantime, if you got a nugget of value out of this podcast, let Tamara know by leaving a five-star review and comment. Your review equals more guests, more listeners, listens bigger impact until next time